0: Today's episode is sponsored by Kinship Handwork. Tina with Kinship Handwork teaches women how to sew clothes they love so they feel beautiful, empowered, and connected through garment sewing retreats on Mackinac Island, virtual sewing workshops, and courses that feel like an in-person experience, and in her new podcast, In Kinship. In Kinship is a podcast for makers who crave a vibrant life on their own terms. Get 20% off courses or workshops that you join with the coupon code CRAFT, that's C-R-A-F-T. Go to KinshipHandwork.com and click on Workshops. Thank you so much, Kinship Handwork. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 239 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals, where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about cross-stitch. With my guest, Stephanie Rohr. Stephanie is a cross stitch designer, artist, artist, and author. She is known as Steph X Stitch in the craft world after giving that name to her Etsy shop in 2010. Stephanie's work fits into the subversive cross stitch movement with a focus on traditional design elements paired with humor, pop culture references, and feminist and political themes. Stephanie created cross-stitch designs for Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign march in 2020. Her work has also appeared in TV ads for the Chicago Blackhawks and on the Comedy Central show Key & Peele. Stephanie herself appeared on the web series Craft Room Crash and was a speaker at Midwest CraftCon in February 2020. Her first book, Feminist Cross-Stitch, was published in 2019. In 2021, her book was infamously pulled from the shelves of Michael's, which led to an interview in the New York Times. Stephanie and her work have also been featured on the cover of The Chicago Reader and in Craft Business Magazine, Cross Stitcher Magazine, Cross Stitch Crazy, and on the front page of Reddit. Her latest book, Self Care Cross Stitch, was published in November 2022. Stephanie Rohr, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great talking to you. And I'm very excited to dig into all of what we just um, read about in the intro. So um, I'd love to kind of take a, a couple steps back and um, learn a little bit about your background. So where did you grow up and what did you like doing as a kid?
1: Well, um, I was born in Michigan in Grosse Point, but I moved to the Chicago suburbs when I was about six or seven. So I really grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Naperville. Um, Yeah. And I was always an artsy kid. I was also into music and performing. So basically any kind of artsy thing I loved. Um, My mom was a big cross-stitcher and that was my kind of intro into that. And what did your parents do for work? Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She started off as a dental hygienist, but um, then she left that to stay home with us kids. Um, My dad worked in human resources um, for some big insurance companies in Chicago. That's what kind of brought us to Chicago.
0: Okay, and so your mom taught you how to cross
1: stitch. Do you remember how old you were or what your first projects were? Um, My mom bought me a kit that was meant for children, Um, So it wasn't like the usual needles and eight-up fabric and stuff that we use now. Um, It was kind of more of a needlepoint kit. So it had this big plastic grid and a big plastic needle. And you kind of use this yarn. And I remember it had three colors and it made a little butterfly. uh, And I loved it. Uh, I think that I was really meant to cross stitch because I just, the grid of it, appeals to me so much. Um, I think it's interesting that when I was a kid instead of coloring books my favorite thing to color was literally graph paper and I would use thin tip markers and I would make designs on the graph paper which like is cross stitch design before I knew what that was (laughs) even when I would play with like the paint program on old Windows computers So, I don't know if you remember this or if anyone will remember this, but if you zoomed in far enough in that program, you could see a grid. And I would, when I used that, I would also zoom in until I could see the grid and then make pictures on it that way.
0: That's so funny. It's like the early
1: roots of your cross stitch design love. Yes, I think it was really meant to be. And um, once I did that first project when I was a kid, um, I think I bought a few more. My mom bought me a few more kits like that. And then when I got to be kind of 10, 11, I graduated to actual cross stitch kits. Sometimes it was literally projects that my mom had started and gotten tired of, and she would kind of pass them off to me, and I would finish them. So I was really into it. and I've always found it very relaxing and very kind of getting into the flow of it.
0: And cross-stitch kits, I mean, I was a kid in the 80s, so um, I'm probably a little older than you, but cross-stitch kits that I remember from going to the craft store, I wasn't really into cross-stitch, but I was really into the craft store. So I would look at everything that they had, and they were like gingham, like cows and chickens. This is what I'm remembering, like cats, kittens, very kind of like I don't know what you would describe it, but very like traditional looking designs. So I don't know if that was what you were stitching then. Um, I mean, I feel like cross-stitch has come a long way and you're part of that change. But
1: back then, that's what I remember being on the market. Yes, that was very much what it was. So I did start, it was more early 90s for me, but it was very much that farm life stuff, like precious moments, kind of religious-based things. some of the ones my mom started me on when I started the real adult kits were kind of quilt block samplers because those were a bit easier. They had like the big areas of one color, um, but it was all very pastel and all very yeah, late 80s, early 90s aesthetic. So I really was not into the um, designs themselves as much as the process, because what I was into was like the Lisa Frank aesthetic, like neon, all that little kid stuff like I went I wanted my cross-stitch to look like a Trapper Keeper cover, not like Precious Moments. So, yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Um, Did you ever have like Joe Verso world of cross-stitch? Do you know those books at all? They're like design books. Did you ever have those books?
1: I didn't as a kid. I think my mom, her cross-stitch hobby was very kit-based. So she didn't have any cross-stitch books or anything like that. And I probably didn't know that they existed yet.
0: Okay. All right. So you were into music, it sounds like in performance, and into cross-stitch. Uh, what did you go to do after high school? What did you study or what did you think you wanted to do?
1: Well, something very different than cross-stitch. Um, well, so yeah, kind of on what you were saying about the content of the patterns and stuff, I was really into it during middle school. And when I really became a teen, I kind of dropped it. It just didn't interest me anymore. And on the topic of what I went to school for in high school, I got really into theater and performing. Um, I had taken vocal lessons and piano lessons since I was a little kid. I loved theater. It was a big ham. Um, and yeah, in high school, I had the leads and all the shows and I was really into it. So I decided to go to college for musical theater. So um, I auditioned and got into a BFA musical theater program at Drake University in Iowa, small private school in Iowa, but it's a great theater program. So yeah, I did that. Um, I did not cross-stitch at all during college, though it probably would have helped me out. (laughs) And I even went to grad school for theater after I finished my undergrad, directly after. I auditioned for a classical theater program in London, and I moved over there to get my master's in classical acting. And I did all the Shakespeare stuff at University of the Arts London.
0: Wow, that must have been a
1: fantastic experience.
0: I feel like that's where you go to do Shakespeare. You know, like that's
1: so cool. Yes, it was awesome. Um, I'm very grateful that I got to do that. My master's program, our Shakespeare course, like our kind of Shakespeare unit was actually at the Globe Theater. So, and then we went to Moscow for two months to study Chekhov at a Russian um, conservatory. So yeah, it was quite good. And uh, I stayed in London basically as long as my visa lasted after that. And I, I did perform um, in one West End show and in a lot of smaller shows. Um, and it was while I was in London that I picked up cross-stitch again. Um, Cause although that all sounds very glamorous and fun It's a very expensive city to live in, and I was in a tiny studio, and I was bartending in a pub and teaching vocal lessons and really, like, cobbling my life together, and it was stressful, and I don't know what exactly sparked me to it. I think I was just at a craft store, and I was like, oh, maybe I should get a cross-stitch. It's that thing of, like, I need something to do that is fun and engaging that doesn't cost that much money. That isn't like going out with my friends or, you know, going shopping or other things I enjoyed that just were too much money, um, and that's one thing I love about cross stitch. I think it's such an accessible hobby and art form, and like once I picked it up, um, it was nonstop since then. And um, okay. yeah, that's also when I discovered um, Julie Jackson of Subversive Cross Stitch. Because um, this would have been, I think I graduated my master's in uh, 2008. So, yeah, 2009, 10. I think Julie was really the first one putting out that subversive cross stitch stuff. So, just when I was Googling kind of like modern cross stitch, like funny cross stitch, um, I found that and was very, very drawn to that.
0: So, what was she, for people who aren't familiar with what she was doing? What was she doing and how was it different from what everybody else was doing?
1: Well, it had naughty words in it (laughs) was the main thing. I think the first one I saw was just F this, except with the actual word. Um, And it just cracked me up. And she had an explanation about how it was um, also a hobby for her as a kid. And she started doing her own designs when she was in a really stressful office job and she just needed to go home and stitch the F word. And yeah, it just kind of grew from there.
0: So you found her work and thought, wow, that's different and like speaks to me. Did you get some of her patterns or her book or how did you proceed?
1: Well, um, I went to her site and she offered PDFs of patterns that you can just buy and use right away and I was like this is amazing um it just having cross stitch on the internet just opens the whole world of it to everyone and that's what I love about it because you know you're not limited to which kits are in the craft store you're limited to only what has someone created which is so many things and so many styles and so yeah I got into stitching those and um I think it was a friend of mine wanted, had this idea of like, I want to make a funny cross stitch for my parents for like an anniversary gift or something. And they they didn't even know I stitched and were just talking to me about this. And I was like, light bulb moment. Hey, wait, I cross stitch. I could make that for you. Like I could design what you want it to say and I can make it. And they were like, that would be awesome. So that was the first one I designed myself. It was just a funny quote some inside joke in their family. Um, and I put I put it in that style that I knew kind of because that was the juxtaposition they wanted. So I think it had little chickens on it and the cute little heart border. Um, and that was kind of a big moment for me because although I love stitching um, from a pattern, I loved even more creating that pattern. And at this point, I, had, I didn't even know about cross-stitch software. So I went to my trusty old friend, the graph paper, and I drafted the design on that and stitched from it.
0: And there is software now that does this. And I don't know if you've explored more than one program, but can you tell us about sort of the software that you use and and what you like about it?
1: Yes, so I have used the same one always. Um, I really did a lot of research into it. and the one I use is called Mac Stitch. It's made by a company called Ursa Software. Um, what I liked about that one was they allowed a week trial before you had to purchase it. So I got to really play around with it before um, committing money to it because um, at that point I had moved back to Chicago, where I live now, um, and I was doing theater, working in restaurants, um, teaching vocal lessons, kind of living with two roommates and scraping by. And I was still doing the cross-stitch as a hobby. Um, And one of my roommates, I really owe so much to my friends. Really so much of my story is my friends being like, "Um, people would like this. You should do it. What are you doing? (laughs) Because it's so hard to make that mental leap from, this is something I think is cool and maybe I'm good at it. But no one else is going to think that, and no one's going to pay for that. Like it really helps to have outside people being like, "Hey, that's funny. That's pretty. Like I would hang that up in my house, or I would like to stitch that. Like, do you make patterns?" So the first step was um, starting my Etsy shop, and at first I did not offer patterns because I had not discovered the software yet. Even though I knew other people could do it, it was still that mental block of like, "Well, I can't do that." So um, I would sell finished pieces of designs that I Designed using the graph paper and stitch it, and just sell the framed, finished hoops, or I'd frame it in photo frames, and started having some good success with that. It was not enough to quit any of my other jobs, but it was a nice um, thing to have. And once again, my roommates are like, "Well, you you stitch patterns that you buy, right? Like, why don't you make your things into patterns?" And I was like, "I don't know how." So um, that led to me searching for cross stitch software. Um, another big part of my journey has been joining like cross stitch, Facebook groups, cross stitch, Reddit, um, communities online. And I think that's where I first saw people talking about cross stitch design software. And that kind of spurred me to find it on my own. So yeah, I got Mac stitch. I still use it today. I used it for the patterns you see in my books. Um, I'm a big fan of mac stitch. That's good to know. Yeah, and
0: is there um, a problem in general with people because obviously you can, you know, list a PDF of a cross stitch pattern easily on Etsy or another site. Um, but is there an issue with with customers or potential customers? I guess sort of taking the image and recreating it without buying the pattern because I know that that can be an issue. In embroidery. And I just wondered if that was also an issue in cross stitch.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that is also an issue in cross stitch. Um, and it's something that I have literally like talked about in therapy. It, it's such an upsetting thing. Um, but I've kind of, there's nothing I can do about it um, except keep putting out good work, keep putting out complex work, um, building a community of my fans and customers who and kind of educating people because so many people think, Oh, I found this on Google images. I'll just zoom in and figure it out. Um, And what I used to get very upset about it. um, It's still not great, but the way I look at it it now is um, it's really important to educate people about what goes into making a design and kind of, reminding people that your purchase of a PDF, and many of them are $3, $5, $7. Mine range between $3 and $9 um, based on the complexity. That's like an investment into the entire cross-stitch community. And that's an investment into patterns you will want to see in the future. Because I know people could look at it and copy it. It's kind of like, Learning to trust people to just do the right thing, um, you know, you wouldn't walk into Joanne and steal all the floss for your project. Hopefully, so why would you steal the pattern? Um, the pattern is often the cheapest part of a cross stitch project, especially if you invest in hand dyed fabric and thread and like you know a really nice stand set up and gold plated needles. Like you can you can spend a lot of money on cross stitch and. To me, the pattern is the most important part and often the cheapest part. And it's usually the part that's going to an individual artist um, instead of a large corporation. So um, yes, it is a problem, but I think that most people are good and want to do the right thing and want to support creators because they want to keep having new patterns in the future. Because at the end of the day, if creators aren't making money at it anymore, They're going to stop doing it. And then, you know, the whole artistic source of your hobby will dry up.
0: I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Kinship Handwork. Tina began her business, Kinship Handwork, to connect with women, specifically women who made things with their own two hands and crave that old barn raising feeling gathering together, laughing and sharing and getting deep, all while nibbling on Aunt Judy's famous cheese dip. You know, the one everyone looks forward to with glee and textiles in hand. Needles pulling through fabric, hands stirring the dye pot, sharing the flow of life. Her business began with retreats for garment sewists. And while that remains at the heart of it, four years ago, she started offering online courses and workshops. While she loves to teach folks how to sew clothes and see that glint in their eye when they do it and it fits. She loves creating all different things and taking life in her own hands. To explore that more with all sorts of makers, she began In Kinship, a podcast for makers who crave a vibrant life on their own terms. Her guests share how they add joy and vibrancy to their lives through their making stories. Give it a listen. Jump on the website kinshiphandwork.com Listeners to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast get 20% off their next course or workshop with the coupon code CRAFT. While on the site, check out the free resources for sewing with knit fabrics and getting the fit down. Thank you so much, Kinship Handwork. And now back to my conversation with Stephanie. And so how did you make the shift from selling finished cross-stitch pieces in your Etsy shop to selling patterns was there a first design that caught people's attention were you posting them on Instagram or how did that shift come about so that you became what you are now which is a cross stitch designer
1: yeah so um i think the first one i made into a pattern literally just said douchebag Because I thought it was funny, (laughs) and um, that was the first pattern I posted in my Etsy shop. I wish it was something more meaningful or clever, but that was it. Um, And I actually continued to sell the finished pieces, and I still continue to sell them. Um, I sell more at art festivals now than online um, because I price my work at what it is worth, and that's quite a lot. So um, yeah, the first one was douchebag, and then I just started. Every time I would design a new um, piece, I would design it on the software. I would stitch up, I would still stitch up a piece um, because I do like to show a finished photo so people really know what it's going to look like. And I would sell both the pattern and the piece and list them both in my Etsy shop at the same time. And from that, I actually, years later, I moved on to kits. And that was just from customer requests, especially people who wanted to give it as a gift, as a whole self-contained project, maybe people who live in a place that um, don't have a lot of craft stores there. Yeah. So now I end up with, um, finished pieces, kits, and patterns. Um, and it's also, it's nice to offer different price points. Some people have more time than money. Some people have more money than time. If you want the piece in your house, you can pay me to stitch and frame, or you can, uh, Kind of pay with your time, get the five dollar PDF, and work on it for a month, and you still end up with the piece in your house.
0: And um, some of your um, of your phrases, and I, let's talk first before we get to that about the juxtaposition, right? So there's something very pleasing about seeing the word douchebag cross stitched, and so talk a little bit about that. Like, why is it? Why is that in itself like? just pleasing. Cause like, you're not, ex- it's, it's the unexpected. Right. And so when people see it for the first time, they're like expecting it to say like home, sweet home. Right. And then they see it and it doesn't say that. And so that, that appeal like is, is really strong.
1: Thank you. I think so too. Um, yeah. Part of it is just, that's something I really like. Um, and it's kind of an homage to the way I learned. I, I do like that old kitschy style, that kind of folk art kind of motif. And I don't know, it's, I really just call it like the double take test. Like I think a piece is good if it makes someone do a double take. And I think people like having that kind of art in their home um, that it kind of rewards you for paying attention because you could just gloss over it and say like, oh, there's a little cross stitch and then you read it and it's hilarious or it's some pop culture reference or it's in something sexual or naughty or or sweary. Um, I just think I like art that delights people and makes them laugh. <laughs> and yeah, obviously it does appeal to a lot of people. Um, it's funny, it's it's the same kind of aesthetic I have used in performance as well. Um, I had a band at one point called the Moxie Sisters. And we kind of sang in the style of the Andrews sisters, but we would sing like an Alanis Morissette song in the style of the Andrews sisters. And I feel like that's the exact same thing. So I don't know. It's just something in me. I love that vintage feel um, with a very unexpected modern message within it. And I think that becomes even more powerful um, when my work became more of the feminist cross stitch because it adds that other level of the fact that cross stitch and other fiber arts needle arts are historically thought of as women's work they're thought of as craft rather than art in a bad way I think craft and art are both valid and wonderful of course but um some people are like oh that's a little crafty thing it's not like you're a painter it's not like you're a sculptor um so I think yeah adding that later on which kind of happened after 2016. I don't, I don't know what happened then. Something happened and my work became more feminist. So uh, I loved it for the humor and even more for the ones that make a political statement and kind of reclaim that women's work as a powerful art form.
0: And you started posting on Instagram sometime along this um, this journey and you had this pattern that said, Behold, the field in which I grow my F word, lay thine eyes upon it and see that it is barren, which is hilarious. And I think that that one really caught on. And I wondered if you could talk about that experience.
1: Yes. So that was a few years into my Etsy shop. And I think that one actually started as a customer custom request um, of the meme, because it was not meme first. Um, I did not create that phrase, but I did create the first uh, stitch version of it. There's now about 50 of them, which honestly is fine. I think there is room for different designers interpreting popular phrases that are kind of in the zeitgeist in different ways. So yeah, I I made it for a finished piece for that person. And then I listed the pattern on my site. And that really is the one that went viral. Um, That's the one that made it to the Reddit front page and was blowing up my Instagram account. I was a little late to Instagram, I think. I think I got on there around 2013, 2014. It had existed for a while. Um, and that was one of my first posts on there, which really kind of, um, raised my profile on social media. And that's still one of my best selling patterns to this day, like almost 10 years after I first created it. Um, It's a really good pattern for beginners actually because it's not symmetrical it has that weird medieval tapestry like the font every letter is different so I actually recommend it for first time stitchers because if you make a mistake no one will ever know
0: um and so um I wondered whether when you do get a lot of attention like being on the front page of reddit and things like that for for that pattern or maybe it was for a different one whether different opportunities sort of came to you as a result of that, whether a brand might've reached out or um, I don't know, I know a political campaign at some point must've reached out. So did, did various opportunities sort of result in the vir- virality of some of these
1: designs? It definitely did. Um, so, yeah, I started to get, well, for example, like the piece that was on Key and Peel, hilarious sketch show, um, it, ha- it was a very old fashioned looking one, very farm style. It had a rooster on it, um, and it said cock. <laughs> and they used it on the set um, in, like, the home of a gay couple. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, seeing that on TV was very cool. And I did start getting reached out to by some brands. Um, it was a big learning curve, Of learning what my work was worth and what was a good opportunity and what was not so good for me. I said no to quite a lot of things. I think um, a beer company wanted me to design a piece for a billboard, but they only wanted to pay like what a private person would pay for the piece and not for like its use in ads like the way you would pay a graphic designer who was creating an ad campaign. And so like, I ended up saying no to some things. Um, but yeah, it was really, I know to outside people, it might seem like all these big opportunities appeared. Um, but I had been working away at this for a good seven or eight years before the big opportunities really came and just kind of consistently putting out new work, improving my craft. Um, the biggest thing I think uh, I think I found out about this actually from your blog um was the the DMC design contest. <laughs> so
0: we should we should say like right, this was a couple of years, I don't even know when this was, but several years back, DMC held a design contest. And if I'm remembering correctly, um the winners didn't get Paid at all um and it was it was sort of not at all well structured and it inspired a lot of cross stitchers to um sort of strike back in in cross stitch design but you can tell tell me how you uh experienced that
1: yeah so you know as a as a stitcher you would love to get the attention of dmc they i use their embroidery thread every day they're one of the biggest um companies with cross-stitch supplies, um, they offer free patterns on their website, which I think is great because um, the patterns on their website, they have commissioned from designers that they pay to create those patterns. So it's win-win. People get a free pattern um, that they're legitimately getting, you know, <laughs> and designers are getting paid. They offer this contest where you design a pattern and you enter by using their hashtag. And they were really touting this as a big thing. Like the winner would just be, would be featured on their website. And um, every single entry into the contest would be available as a free pattern on their website. I think maybe they would link to your shop, like at the bottom of the page. And there was not a monetary prize at all. And so I kind of read this and was like, how is this? A prize for me. So like I already sell my patterns on Etsy and Shopify and the prizes, I give it to you, you use it to promote your company and you give it to people.
0: And this is by the way, like an endemic issue where companies, whether they're in the art and craft space or in other industries, host a contest, a design based contest and have all of these designs created by all of these different artists that are then entered. And the prize is that you win and you just get featured, but also they get all of these other designs sometimes or whatever. But basically the, the notion that you can have a design contest and not compensate people and then use the work that comes in from that is just a bad thing
1: to do, but it, it happens a lot. Yes. Yes. And you know, it's, I see the same thing in the theater industry. I still um, perform and direct in theater. And um, there are still companies that exploit artists by not paying them or, you know, paying with exposure, which is what this contest for DMC was doing as well, or paying less than minimum wage. You just kind of get a stipend for months of rehearsing and performing. So, you know, it's, it's sad because artists and performers are passionate people who love what we do. And there are some people out there who kind of exploit that because they know you're so desperate to do it. You want the recognition and, you know, we don't have to pay you (laughs) or we don't have to pay you enough. So going back to the design contest, um, I created a design that just said pay artists and I used the contest hashtag and entered it. I also made posts about this in all of the online cross-stitch groups I was in. Um, And especially for designers who were newer or didn't have as big of a following as I did on Instagram, I said, tag me in these. I will share them all and I will promote them all. And so I'm proud to say that I really spearheaded that effort Um, and I encouraged non-designers to um, repost and just basically spam the contest with only these designs that said, you know, you can die of exposure or like my landlord doesn't accept exposure for my rent, you know, (laughs) pay artists. Um, and yeah, it did. It did get the attention of, of DMC. The kind of ironic thing about it is I actually, I offered my pay artists pattern for free or pay what you can (laughs) through my own website, just to get as many people as possible to stitch it, take a picture of it and post it. Um, but the thing is, most of the people did pay me at least a buck. Like, you know, crafters want to support artists.
0: And so, in the end, DMC
1: changed the terms of the contest. They did. Um, I don't know. It makes me feel cynical to say I didn't see it as as big of a win as some people did. They added monetary prizes for the top three designs, um, but all the designs entered would still be given away on their on their website. So, yeah. I was very excited about it. It did. It did get a lot of publicity, and I hope it made people think about um, the value of artistic work. And you got
0: a book deal, which we talked about for your first book. How did that come about? Was that always one of your goals to write a book of kind of subversive cross stitch designs? Did you pitch the book idea, or did a publisher come to you, or how did how did you make the connection? So
1: yes, I did always want to write a book. Um, I had it, it was kind of just an idea and a vague goal in my head of something I knew I wanted to do later. Um, I had gone to Midwest Craft Con in um, either late 2017 or early 2018. And I attended a talk um, about craft book publishing. Um, so it, it was in my mind and I was, trying to figure out, okay, I need a theme, I need to write a proposal, and while I was kind of mulling all that over in my mind, I got a message on Etsy, actually, from an editor at a publishing company, um, Lark Crafts, which is an imprint of Sterling, um, which is my publisher, they are now known as Union Square, Um, and it was not an offer of a book deal. It was an offer to contribute a couple of my patterns to a compilation book of feminist cross-stitch patterns. Cross-stitch is a great way to channel your political rage or any kind of rage you have, your frustration. You know, you get to stab something thousands of times. So um, I had been going more in a political and feminist direction with my cross-stitch since the 2016 election. And this... um, editor must have just been searching etsy for feminist patterns she was interested in the one that um, says a woman's place is in the revolution which incidentally ended up on the cover of my book um so yeah she she made me that offer and it was it would have paid um like a couple hundred bucks for each pattern no advance no royalties because it's not my book it's me kind of like doing design work for a book and once again it was one of those things where it was really exciting. It's always exciting to get an offer, but I kind of didn't feel great about what I would be getting out of it. Um, And there was kind of that exposure word again of like, oh, well, you know, we'll put your website in the book and people can find you that way. And um, instead of kind of shutting it down or accepting it, but not feeling good about it, I had this light bulb moment of, well, I have nothing to lose. Why don't I just ask if I can do the book myself? And that's what I did. <laughs> I emailed her back and said, "I'm a little bit interested in, in contributing patterns, but I'm very interested in pitching my own feminist cross stitch book to you. Will you let me do that?" And she said, "Sure, write me a proposal." <laughs> so I give
0: you I give you so much credit because first of all, there's a lot of value in taking that pause. Instead of writing back right away, the person does not need to hear back from you within an hour. You know, you can take a day, a few days, think about it. And often when you do, it comes to you what you really want to do. And secondary, like you were like, I have nothing to lose, right? So if she turned around and said, no, you can't submit a book deal, a book proposal to me. And by the way, we now don't want you for some reason, right? In this compilation, Okay, well, you probably were going to turn it down anyway. So, like, there's always that sort of like, what do I have to lose? Why not ask? If you don't ask, nothing's going to happen. And so, I just give you so much credit for being like, can I? Can I propose something to you? And obviously, if the proposal was weak and was you know not appropriate, they would have turned you down. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's an important thing to remember. And there's so much kind of imposter syndrome. And there's so much, it can be such an isolating thing, running your own business as an artist. Um, And of course you have friends and cheerleaders around who are like, you should do it. You should do it. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to take the leap and do it. And I'm very, very glad I did. Um, Of course, the euphoria of yes, submit us a proposal was quickly replaced by terror of, I don't know how to write a book proposal. (laughs) Um, I literally Googled how to write a book proposal (laughs) Um, and once again, it's these, it's very appropriate for Feminist cross stitch because it was other women in my life who came together and helped me. Um, I am friends with a playwright here in Chicago, and I was telling her about um, this book proposal I have to do. And, you know, I don't have an agent, I don't have anything and um, she said, let me add you to this Facebook group. Um, and it's a group. It used to be secret, but it's not anymore. So I can say it's called The Binders. And I'm in is- there
0: too. <laughs> um,
1: but you have to be, at that time, you had to be added to it by a member. I Googled how to write a proposal and I wrote a proposal. Um, I sent it in and the publisher came back to me accepting it and giving me a very low advance offer. To me, I thought it was pretty good, but it turns out it was quite low. Um, But now that I had an offer, that's when you can really get um, help as far as an agent. So my friend, the playwright, um, she said, okay, once you have an offer, make a post in the binders explaining the situation, and there are agents in there and hopefully one of them will be interested and can get in touch with you. So I said like, this is what happened. I'm this cross-stitch designer. I have an offer for a feminist cross-stitch book. I don't know if it's good or not. Is anyone interested? And um, two different agents um, contacted me. I emailed with them. I talked to them both on the phone. Um, I chose the one that I just personally kind of vibed with the most. <laughs> um, and, she was able to go back and get me about triple what they had initially offered me. And again, it was this group of women publishing online. It was my friend. It was a female agent. Um, And yeah, she went back and forth with them and got me a really nice uh, advance for that.
0: And once the book came out, this is the book that we mentioned in the intro regarding what happened when it was distributed to Michael's stores. And, um, and there was a big article in the New York Times about what happened um, after it sort of was all playing out, but it had to do with swear words. And so talk a, lot, a little bit about your discovery of the problem and um, and what the problem really was and then how it was eventually resolved or not resolved.
1: Sure. So, in my book, feminist cross stitch, um, there are forty different cross stitch patterns, and five of them have swear words in it. Um, So it really isn't the focus of the book, but it is in there. And I like to think that the swear words that are in there are used in a positive way. For example, I think one of the ones they really took issue to with was "fuck your internalized misogyny," which, yes, it has the bad word in it, but um, I think it's a very positive message. And when you designed that one, for example, did
0: the editor at Sterling at all say, "If we choose to use this word, we're going to have distribution, you know, limitations," or was nothing? There was no conversation.
1: There was no conversation about that. Um, my publisher was very supportive. Um, you know, they reached out to me seeing what my work was. Um, there was a lot of back and forth about what the 40 different phrases and patterns would be. Um, I didn't submit a ton that had curse words. I think it was always only four or five out of the 40 and they were, they were fine with it. So the Michael's distribution actually came a little later because my book was published in 2019 and it wasn't put into Michael's until Women's History Month of 2021. So it was in it was on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and in regular bookstores before then and it was never an issue.
0: And we should say that Having a craft book get distributed by Michaels or Michaels and Joanne into the big box craft stores means that you are gonna have really large distribution in a way that maybe having it at Amazon is not gonna do for you because that,
1: that's like the biggest customer in the industry. Yes. Um yeah. So I had found out in early, because Women's History Month is March. So I think around January of that year um my editor and agent decided excitedly told me like your book's going to be in michael's i was thrilled it was going to be like part of a big promotion you know like here's feminist themed crafting books um so i was yes i was very excited because that's my exact target market it's such a great way for people to discover my book who maybe don't follow me on instagram and you know just have never heard of my shop or anything like that um so yeah i was very excited and I think it was only in there about a week before it got pulled. Um, I found out about it in a very strange way. Um, Someone made a post on Reddit because their mother worked in a Michaels. And I saw a picture of my book with a sticker on the front that said, put in compactor. And the sticker was partially ripped off. And it was kind of like, my mom was at Michael's and they had this book that someone discovered was full of swears. And so they decided to destroy them all. But she she saved one for me and brought it home for me. And I don't know, I like my heart fell out of my butt. Like I was just like in shock looking at this thing and I, I was trying to find out. And, you know, the internet is the internet. You can't really trust everything you see, but I don't know why someone would make that up. So I, I started looking into it. And um, it took, like, my publisher getting in touch with whoever purchases books for Michael's, which I found out is, like, a separate kind of entity. And basically, no one had looked at my book at all. Like, um, and, yeah, they, it, I don't know if a customer complained. I don't know if a manager found it offensive at some location. I don't know how it happened but a company-wide kind of edict went out of pull this book from the shelves destroy it um that really upset me because once again I'm still new to publishing and I didn't know if I was going to get paid for those books I didn't know like why are they destroying a book like that's terrible (laughs) like couldn't they give it to a library or something but um I learned that big box stores like Michael's are different um if books don't sell at a bookstore they're returned to the publisher um but luckily for me one of the few lucky things about this situation um big box stores like Michael's put in huge bulk orders that they pay up front so thankfully um although it would have been better for it to stay in the store, I did get paid for the books that they initially ordered. Um, When they finally got in touch with me, all they would say is that it was pulled due to foul language. Um, And once again, this was confusing because, although it's not their focus by any means, like Michaels at the time did sell coloring books that had curse words in it and things like that. So... I have my own theories. I'm not sure it was just the curse words. I think maybe some of the content um, was objectionable to some customers or to some people in charge. Once again, I I don't know for sure. Um, But yeah, it it got a lot of attention and really nice uh, followers of mine on Instagram and people in cross-stitch groups were calling up Michaels saying like, do you carry this book? Because I want it. (laughs) Or they would go there And they're like, I found a copy on the shelf and I I tried to go buy it. And um, this code came up and they wouldn't sell it to me. Or like, I found a cashier who would sell it to me anyway. (laughs) And um, yeah, it just became this kind of weird scandal. And it's just the irony of it being during Women's History Month was just too delicious. And um, because it was like, yes, we like feminism as long as you do it the way we think is right. (laughs) Uh, As long as you use the correct words, young lady. Um, And um, it was during this that I got an Instagram DM. I still don't know why people do this. I asked for people to email me, but I got in my, like, you know, when someone you don't follow messages you and it goes to like requests. So good thing I looked at my Instagram message request because a reporter from the New York times was in there asking if I would do an interview. <laughs> um, and of course I had to tell my agent and my publisher, um, they wanted to talk to me before to make sure I wasn't going to say anything crazy because I'm the crazy sweary lady. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a phone interview cause this was still during the pandemic. I had a phone interview with a um, New York times reporter and talked about the whole incident, um, and that is something I'm really proud of. And it it was in the front section of the print version. It was on their website. Um, I think it was a very kind of fair look at things. And yeah, it's you never really know. Everyone thinks of Hobby Lobby as the very conservative and religious uh, craft store, but Michaels does consider itself a Christian company, which. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But um, the way they kind of focus on pride and feminism, it surprised me that they took such issue with my book um, to the point of taking it off the shelves and destroying it.
0: And then some customer also received a copy from Amazon in which somebody, whether it was an Amazon employee, we don't know, had written a message inside that said Trump 2020 MAGA or something like that. Um, And so, you know, that also became something that people were talking about around this book.
1: Yes. Apparently it really struck a chord, which, you know, in a way I'm very proud of because I think good art makes people feel things and the things they feel are not always positive, especially if it's a message they personally don't agree with. But yeah, that was yet another I think that actually happened um in 2020 uh before the Michaels incident. But yes, it was a a very nice lady in Wisconsin um DM would me on Instagram and she was just confused cuz she bought she bought a new book, it was not a used book, and she opened it and on the inside cover it said, yeah, Mega 2020. And she was kind of like, is this a like really ironic meta joke? Like, is this supposed to be in the book? And I'm like, absolutely not. I am so sorry. <laughs> and um, yeah, that led to a fun phone call with like Amazon corporate whatever. And, you know, I don't know whether they know or not. They weren't going to really tell me anything. They said it was done by an employee and the employee is no longer with us. Um, and that, that just the whole thing kind of made me sad because, I mean, I know how warehouse employees are traditionally treated. Um, and yeah, I know how fast they have to pack things up and like that book, just seeing the cover of that book kind of activated someone so much that they had to vandalize it. Um, and it made me really sad because for so many people, cross stitch is an escape um it's a way to de-stress it's a way to feel empowered and it turns out the woman who bought this was a really busy mom who had just moved to a new town a whole new state I think that into an area that was much more conservative than where she had lived before she was feeling a little bit isolated and overwhelmed and like this book was a gift to herself of like her fun empowering hobby and Have her open it and see that just broke my heart. So, of course, I sent her like several signed copies of the book myself. She kept um, the mega copy, I don't know, just as a little souvenir. And myself and um, the customer were both interviewed by Forbes about kind of that experience
0: as well. And I wonder how you deal with the negativity that must flow forth because anytime you, you know, Put something that's controversial in any way um, on the internet. You know, it's like, don't read the comments. You're going to absolutely get comments, and, you know, some of them are going to be really angry. Some of them are going to be really personal. Some of them are going to say, you know, cross it just my escape, keep politics out of it. All of these sorts of comments but the ones that are also really personal to you maybe criticizing your physical appearance or something like that. So this must be a fairly regular part of your online diet just because of the kind of um content that you post and i wondered how you deal with it from an emotional kind of personal standpoint. You had mentioned earlier that you um you know were talking in therapy about people stealing designs and i wondered whether this also impacts your mental health
1: in any way. I mean, yeah, it definitely does. Sometimes I also wonder how I deal with it, but um, there no, there are a few things that I always turn to um, as kind of the healthy coping mechanisms for it. I'm getting better at it as I get older as a person and as a business owner, as I get more experience. Um, I used to be much more reactive I would want to fight with people. It's funny that you say, don't read the comments. Cause one of my earliest designs was a simple piece that says, never read the comments, but do I follow that advice? Absolutely not. I read every comment. I read every review. I take it all to heart <laughs> even when I probably shouldn't. Um, and I think it's just human nature. Like I can have 5,000 five-star reviews and then like, one two-star review and which one am I going to be thinking about all day? The two-star review. Um, I've found that the best way to deal with it, both personally and artistically and from a business standpoint, is to turn it into art um, and use it as fuel. So for example, when I talked about discovering my book, getting banned from Michaels, seeing that image of put in compactor over my book, cover. Um, after the interview and all of that, I made an a cross-stitch art piece of Rosie the Riveter, which is kind of the big advanced pattern in feminist cross-stitch. Um, I made a version of Rosie the Riveter with the pudding compactor ripped up sticker over her. Um, and I called it Women's History Month. <laughs> so like that to me was very healing. And people thought it was really cool when they saw it. Um, I have also made negative Etsy messages and negative Amazon reviews into cross-stitch art. Um, Someone, and you know, these aren't people who um, buy my book and they don't really like the designs. That's totally fine. Like I know part of an artist and a business person is knowing you are not for everyone and that's okay. Some people don't like my messages. Some people don't like my design style. And like, you have to be okay with that. (laughs) As as much of a perfectionist as I am. So yeah, I'm not the kind of person who's like, no one's allowed to give me a bad review. If you got the book and you don't like it, that's fine. But this was a person who clearly did not buy the book. And they were like, feminism is ruining everything. I wanted crafts and all I got was this utter swill. So of course I made a piece that says utter swill. (laughs) Yeah, I've had people message me on Etsy saying, I feel bad for your parents um, because you turned out so terribly. And this isn't someone I know or anyone who knows my parents either. I mean, and then, you know, when I've posted, um, especially pro abortion, um, sex positive things, I've gotten some really horrible DMs from kind of incel types. I think one of my um, pieces, Got put on some message board somewhere. And one day I just got inundated with DMs that I won't repeat because it's too terrible. Um, But I just have to remember like, these aren't people whose opinion I care about. You know, I am proud of my work. I love the people who buy my stuff and find happiness in stitching. So yeah, it's um, making it into art, um, using humor. Like, you just have to laugh when someone calls your work utter swill. It's so melodramatic. It's hilarious. I love I, I love it. Give me more.
0: <laughs> and, and this kind of leads to your new book, which is self-care. Um, I mean, I feel like listening to all of that and imagining being on the receiving end after having somebody share your book or one of your patterns on some sort of message board that that makes you inundated with horrible things that you can't even repeat. I mean, I, for anybody, that would be just so hard. And so, um, so it, it sort of makes sense that the second book is about self-care. So tell us briefly about the
1: second book, and then we're going to get to your recommendations. Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess the coping mechanism I didn't mention again was I I do go to therapy. Um, I have for many years Um, and this ties into self-care as well. Um, I'm very open about um, my own mental health struggles. I think that helps people and it helps me to normalize things like that. Um, I take antidepressants, I go to therapy. Um, I've struggled with depression for years. Um, I've struggled with eating disorders in the past as well. Um, And I think it's important for people to talk about it if they're comfortable um and really both of my books have been reactions to what's going on in the world I think all art and craft is a reaction to what's going on in someone's personal life a reaction to what's going on in the larger world and you know it's no accident that self-care cross-stitch was something I was working on throughout 2020 in quarantine um I proposed it at uh, the beginning of 2020 um like you mentioned i spoke at midwest craftcon in february that year right before the world shut down um and it was scary because although cross stitch is my main um, source of income now i still i'm still a vocal coach i'm still a theater actor and director and those things completely disappeared because they weren't safe so um all i had anymore and it's, it's a lot to have, and it's something I'm lucky to have, something I can do at home myself. Um, all I had was, was the cross-stitch, and so I really poured my soul into that book. Um, another thing was hearing from other people about how cross-stitch was something that was really saving them during COVID and during lockdown. Um, even people who, kind of like me, did it as a kid or as a teen and suddenly came back to it um, during the pandemic as like, I just can't look at another screen. I need something tactile. I need something creative and meditative. So yeah, it was because of my own struggles and working with those, you know, hard reactions from people. And it was from the larger community. And what I was hearing from other people that made me decide to um, focus on self-care for for the second book. And I still wanted to keep it on brand and fun. So it's still sarcastic and funny. And to my wonderful publisher's credit, um, I actually asked them when we were talking about this next book, you know, given what happened with Michael's and with the defacing of the book by Amazon and stuff like that. um, Do you want me to not swear in this one? And they're like, oh, no, we would like um, the same amount or a little more so it's wonderful to feel it helps to really feel creatively supported by the people you work with and the people who champion you um and I didn't even put more I think there's exactly five swear words in that book as well um out of 40 40 different designs so yeah it's it's a very fun book it came out in November of the last year so it's only been out for a few months but I'm I'm extremely proud of it I think um I put in some more advanced designs, which people had been asking for. There still are designs for total beginners in there. Yeah, and the focus is on mental health, physical health, it's on community care. Um, And it really, it was important to me to also recognize that um, self-care as a movement was really started by communities of color many decades ago. Um, and it started as a way to take care of yourself so that you can take care of each other in a society that does not take care of you. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, I want to make sure we have time for your recommendations because you have a few that are for cross stitchers. So, for the cross stitchers listening, um, you wanted to recommend a stainless steel floor stand as well as Sullivan's Easy Glide ball tip needles.
1: So, stitching with a stand is the best. (laughs) I don't think it's necessary for everybody. Obviously, I stitch many more hours in the day than most people, but um, stitching with a floor stand allows you to stitch two-handed. I was getting arm pain from holding my hoop in my left arm and stitching with my right, and then you always have to put your hand in front of and behind the hoop every time you stitch. Um, so I bought a case creations stainless steel floor stand. Um, there's also a brand called Lowry's floor stands, which I've heard are good, although I have not used it. Um, and yeah, it allows you to just put the stand in front of you where you're sitting, um, and it clamps down to hold the hoop. And then I end up putting one hand under the hoop and one hand on top and just passing the needle back and forth between my two hands. And um having both of my arms move totally eliminated my arm pain. So I realized I was just clenching that hoop with my with my left hand and it was really not great. So it speeds up your stitching and it makes you feel better while you're doing it. And then the needles as well. Yes. So those needles I only discovered in like the last two years, just when I was shopping on like one two three stitch.com, I think. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. So they're really just um embroidery needles that have a little ball on the instead of a point, there's like a little ball tip as it, as it is called. And um, it just helps it find the hole when you're coming through the backside. I don't know the science or witchcraft that makes it work, but it just helps. It helps the needle find that hole and it makes it so much faster and easier.
0: Um, that makes sense. Um, and it, and maybe stops it from going in the wrong place. So I, I could see that. Um, and then you also wanted to recommend for everyone, not just for cross stitchers, a show called The Traitors, and I've never
1: watched the show. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, um, one of my favorite things is to Netflix and stitch. And I think that's true for a lot of stitchers and a lot of crafters and, and for anyone. So yeah, that's just a fun reality show that I've loved recently. It's on Peacock and it's hosted by Alan Cumming. And it's, um takes place in a Scottish castle. And it's just people like... "Quote unquote, murdering each other, voting each other off. Some of them are traitors, and some of them. It's like playing the game Mafia, mm-hmm. except in a Scottish castle, and it's a ridiculous reality show. So I think it's it's important to uh, consume serious media and stay on top of the news, but it's also really important to just watch some trash reality TV, preferably while crafting.
0: I agree, 100. percent You got to escape, you know." <laughs> So that's a good recommendation. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: This was so much fun. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Kinship Handwork. Want to sew some stylish and comfortable knit pants with a dozen sewing friends you haven't met yet? Yes, yes you do. Join Kinship Handwork on Mackinac Island in Michigan for their five-day sewing retreat. The 2023 fall theme, the knit pants of your dreams, because sometimes we like to wear pants. And by golly, if those pants fit us perfectly and look professional, have pockets and are comfortable, sold. Sold. And then what if we took those pants and created new versions out of different fabrics and with different style lines? Wouldn't that feel amazing? Yes, let's do it. The fall retreat is October 15th through 19th, 2023. Go to kinshiphandwork.com and click on retreats. While you're there, use that coupon code CRAFT for 20% off your next online course or workshop. Retreats not included in that offer.